Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Aloha and hello. Welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and I thank you once again for joining me on the podcast that uncovers the wisdom, warnings, and winning processes going through some of the brightest minds in and around the game of poker. As well as being a successful comedian, my guest today is known as one of the most popular and entertaining poker commentators to ever pick up a microphone. Joe Stapleton, known to most as Stapes, has been an active poker commentator for over a decade. Gaining almost immediate acceptance in the poker industry, Joe received a Reader's Choice Award from Bluff Magazine during his very first year on the job. Since then, he served as commentator and host on many of the industry's most successful television shows. Outside the realm of poker, he's found plenty of success in the stand-up comedy world. He's opened for Norm McDonald. He's worked on Mad TV and made a brief appearance in the Adam Sandler film The Week Of. During our conversation, Joe reveals quite a bit of substance and deep thinking under the surface of a man that spends much of his adult life trying to make people laugh. He'll talk about his biggest joys and deepest pains, the amazing and long-lasting effects of simply not being a dick, why he believes he caused Black Friday, and even the surprising way that he deals with internet trolls that will hit you square in the feels. This talk with one of poker's biggest and brightest television personalities is one you will be glad you didn't miss. So without any further ado, this is Joe Stapes Stapleton on Chasing Poker Greatness. Joe, my man, how you doing? I'm good, man. I like this. It's like I'm talking to uh, someone out of Star Wars or something, the way your headphones keep appearing and disappearing. It's like a, it's like you're one of those force ghosts, like I'm talking to the emperor <laughs> right now. The Enhance Your Edge Emperor. And uh, for those listening, on, in the audio format? Oh, man, Joe. audio format. What are you guys doing? <laughs> it's fucking 2019. Get video. <laughs> Joe, Joe's clearly on drugs. I don't know what he's talking about. It's just <laughs> completely normal behind me. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But uh, uh, <laughs> there's still time, right? I've heard I a lot am of- on drugs. By the way, I've had a half a can of this cold brew, and I am flying high. Oh yeah, I had I had my Starbucks early this morning, and so I'm I'm pretty pumped up on drugs too. What is it about going to Starbucks that you know it's a waste of money, you know it's horrible for the environment, you know you're just feeding into like one of the worst companies on the planet, but it just feels so good to go in the morning, like just go and get your Starbucks and have it be part of your routine and just like go stretch your legs and just dip your toe into the world at Starbucks. Why is that? Why is it so gratifying? I don't know. I wake up early. So at like 545 and now they have this mobile app, right? That's like reduces all the friction. I don't have to stand in line. I just put put my order in. Uh, I go. I show up. It gets me out of the house. And you get all of the benefits of the blood flow with none of the problems of human interaction. 
<laughs> yeah, because yes. human interaction it's a big pro- it's a big problem for me in my life. Oh, it's horrible. Ugh. Sitting in my computer computer room playing online poker all the time. I too, I get just way too much human interaction. So wait, so where do you play online poker from? Is that a dis- a disclosable location? Like my computer room. You play online <laughs> poker. You appear to be an American, but you play online poker for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I mean, don't tell me anymore. I don't want to know anything else. We're adults here, right? Like, if I I'm going to play cards, then I'm going to figure I figure out a way to play cards. I think that um, it's pretty absurd that I can't or that folks can't play cards. I if they definitely play cards agree on the I'm a American person who should have the freedom to play the cards that I want to play on the flip side. Some of the companies that I do a lot of work for might not be super happy about people playing from America, whether it be one reason or another. So yeah, I'm going to assume that you do a lot of traveling overseas <laughs> and play from uh, legal markets. Cool. Good story. It was a great story. And that is, <laughs> 100% true. Sometimes uh, true, yes. Yes. Um, and by the pause in my voice, that is not a tell that I'm lying <laughs> out of my teeth. See, this is – we were talking in, in the pre-interview about uh, you, you've told your poker story before and um, finding, finding another angle, right, for our yeah. conversation. So – I don't think we found that yet. <laughs> I think we're searching. Um, but well, we could talk about, uh, I've, obviously, Black Friday's had its effects on you. I can, I can start off with the story about how I caused Black Friday. Perfect. Yeah. Let, tell yeah. me about how you caused Black Friday and ruined a bunch of people's lives. So it was like March, what, what's Black Friday? Like March 15th, 2011 or something? It's April 15th. April 15th, 2011. It's April 14th. 2011 and I have been on the pokerstars.net big game for like six to eight months, right? It's in its peak season one has finished airing. We're in the middle of recording season two, right? And man, was it a big hit and Joe Stapleton wins poker personality, TV personality of the year from the Bluff Reader's Choice Awards. His first year on the scene beats Antonio, beats Lon and Norm, the the fucking rookie from out of nowhere. And Joe Stapleton was doing season two of the big game with his best friend, an original poker comedy writing partner, Scott Huff. He came on board for season two and we're in the recording booth in Stapes thought that he was king shit of fuck mountain (laughs) stapes was living the dream he thought it was gonna last forever he thought he was the coolest and on april 14th 2011 stapes went on a date to a carnival in los angeles california where there was a guy selling airbrush t-shirts and stapes who thought it was gonna last forever went up to the guy selling airbrush t-shirts and gave him a hundred dollar bill and said, make me an airbrush t-shirt, sir. I want it to say stapes and I want it to have a pair of jacks on it. And I want it to be like a playing card theme with poker chips, but it has to say stapes in big loud letters. 
Why Jax? Because I think that uh, aces and uh, royal flushes are played. Like whenever I see like a royal flush on a poker marketing thing, I'm like, oh, enough <laughs> with the royal flushes. Get creative. And also I had a podcast at the time called Two Jacks in the Hole. And so we had always sort of decided that we were never going to use royal flushes. We were going to, Jax was going to be our thing. So I had this t-shirt made and I wore it the next day into work at the pokerstars.net big game, this big old airbrush shirt <laughs> in love with myself. Stapes is here. Stapes has graced us with his presence. And about one hour later, I read a Facebook update in between takes that said, GG online poker. And then I went to pokerstars.net and I saw a big FBI logo that said, this site has been redacted by the United States Department of Justice. And it was at that moment that my ego, I knew that my ego, that my hubris had caused Black Friday. And so I apologize. And I promise you, I have never ever, ever, ever had an ego ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that your ego caused Black Friday. And yeah, it did. you're a hundred percent convinced of it and you don't have an ego now. <laughs> Correct. I am 100% that my lack of ego now is the only thing that's preventing there being a second Black Friday. Well, let's hope that your ego doesn't come back. I, I think, right. I think that the audience and everybody listening can officially hope for only bad things for you moving forward. Exactly. Just keep me in check. That's it. <laughs> what, what went through your head when you you looked at Poker News or po, uh, Poker News, Poker Stars and FBI logo? Like, what was the internal dialogue? How did you feel? What was that? What was that I, like? I didn't really understand, uh, and not not that I was like I don't understand. I just didn't understand to the point where I didn't. You ever not understand something so much that you don't even know you don't understand it? Like you're kind of in shock. Yeah, no, it's kind of it's kind of like how I was with poker at first. And when I thought that I was a poker expert after one year of playing poker, and it turns out that not only did I not understand poker, I didn't understand that I didn't understand it. Like I thought I knew everything there was to know about it. So it was it's that. It's like not even being aware of how uninformed you are. And that's kind of what was going on when black Friday went down. Yeah. It's um, like the Dunning Kruger, Dunning Kruger. Yes, effect. yes yeah. exactly. Uh, and so I, man, that's so much more succinct than not understanding, not understanding. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so when that went down, I, I didn't understand what all was going to happen. I knew it was bad, but I also thought, well, shit, this is it. Uh, I have, I was on TV for like 45 seconds and now that's over and this sucks and my career is over and it turned out that that wasn't true for me, but it was true for so many people. And I still, to this day, don't really understand or get how my life could very easily, you could argue, got better because of Black Friday. That I actually benefited from Black Friday quite a bit. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of that. We're going to figure out why that happened for you. 
And, but I want to go back real quick and ask you, how old were you in 2011 when Black Friday hit? Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking so hard about this. I could easily do the math. Uh, if it was 2011, I was 30 years old. Why did you have those thoughts that you thought your life was over and that you were done at 30 years old? Why was it so devastating? I think it was so de- – it wasn't devastating on an emotional level, but I think I'm – first of all, I'm pessimistic in general. I always expect that everything is going to run out. Everything is going to be over soon. Someone's going to realize their mistake that they put me on television. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of pessimistic slash realistic about stuff like that because I've spent most of my adult life around the entertainment business, and I've seen – people fail and I've seen people come close and I've seen people succeed a little bit and then sputter out. And I've always thought to myself, man, I'm no better than those people. I'm no more talented than those people. So that is very likely to be my fate as well. Like, obviously I'm a dude here in the poker industry who very clearly has aspirations to go beyond poker. No offense to poker. But to be a broadcaster or a comedian or an actor or whatever it is in another medium other than poker. But I understand that very few poker commentators have done that. You know, Ali Najad dabbles in some mainstream stuff from time to time. Gabe Kaplan came from the main mainstream. Uh, it's very rare that you see like some poker commentator that went on to have a sitcom. So, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in my realistic sort of mentality, I think that look, if I peak with doing goofy shit on the sidelines of ESPN, like that's entirely realistic for me. That's entirely possible. So when Black Friday happened and I thought it was all over, I was like, oh, this is where being on TV ends for me. Uh, It wasn't necessarily that I was devastated. I was just like, oh, okay, this is done now. Did you have, you you know, you think of yourself as pessimistic and like, I guess that's the wrong it, word because I really don't think of myself as pessimistic. I uh, Look, I, I do uh, act a lot of the time with I, – I don't want to – it's like humility that uh, I try to. I try to be like a humble person but also recognize that I'm not worthless because I think false humility is really irritating too. And so when I say pessimism, it's really not pessimism. It's just sort of I don't ever want to be the guy – that is deluded and that thinks that they are deserving of more than they really are. So I err on the side of pessimism, but I'm not, I'm really not pessimistic. I'm a very optimistic person. I'm a very hopeful person. I just don't like to overvalue certain situations. So the idea of hubris is probably not a good one for you. Uh, imagine something I'm, uh, yeah, I'm incredibly fearful of being that guy because I've been around that guy I've been around the guy that didn't understand that he was the most obnoxious person in the room. Why, that, why did it have such a, a negative effect on you? Uh, I, think, I think partially because some of the advances that I have received in my life have been replacing that guy. And so some of the opportunities that opened up for me opened up because people were tired of dealing with that guy. And I was like, holy shit, this guy never saw it coming. Like, here I am in his job now, and he never saw it coming. I don't want to be that guy who never sees it coming. So I've always 
Now, I look, has it gotten incrementally worse over the years? Yes. Like I do, of course, have an ego. Everyone does. But I've always analyzed that aspect of my game the most, which is tough to do for a comedian because a lot of comedy, and this is something I witnessed too, a lot of comedy comes from overinflating your ego, right? Think about like the funniest TV characters you've ever seen. All of them have like really healthy, disgusting size egos. It's funny. So often through affectation, I will play up my ego, like the story I told you moments ago, right? Where I was, had this massive ego. Really, it wasn't that big in that situation, but it's funny to tell it that way. And I've seen people fake this ego to be funny. And then eventually that becomes who they really are. I always, I say it's called, and I don't know if I coined this or not, but I, a friend of mine, I heard them say it 10 years ago, more than like 15 years ago when I was working on a TV show. It's when, when affectation becomes habit and that occasionally if we pretend to be a selfish bastard all the time, people end up becoming actually a selfish bastard or a diva or the person who's constantly pretending to get annoyed about things. Then you become the annoyed person. And so I try not to let even in a comedy sense that ego get too out of check because I just don't want to be the guy that everyone's like, Jesus Christ, can you believe fucking Stavis would have fucking told you this? What an idiot. Do you think you've ever reached that point or a point in your mind? Do you have any stories about where you you felt uncomfortable? Like you, you reflected and you're like, oh man, that was that was too much. There's definitely been times when I've been like out to dinner on a live stream on a podcast or something and I get off and I go, fuck, was I just a gigantic blowhard that <laughs> entire time? And again, you know, it's it's a tough balancing act because when you're in those situations, people want you to talk about yourself. People want you to give them a good interview and to tell long-winded stories and to find a balance between, you know, giving the people what they want and being a, an obnoxious prick, I think is uh, sometimes uh, a, a tough, a tough balancing act. But I also think that if you are self-aware enough to ask that question afterward, you probably didn't go too far over the line. Yeah. I, I do my podcast, you know, I do podcast interviews too. And I had those same thoughts afterwards. Like my thoughts are also, was I an idiot? Like, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I say that? Like I left a bunch on the table. Uh, that See, was, that's your problem is going in wanting to be a smart person. If you go in just with the only goal of being an idiot, it's so much easier. <laughs> Sometimes though, like, uh, in my interview with Matt Berkey a few weeks ago, I remember like just hearing him talk and some people that I talk to, I realized very immediately, oh, they're way smarter than me. So I'm watching Matt Berkey talk and in my head, you know, I, I look very focused in the zone in my head. I'm saying, <laughs> dude, don't be a fucking idiot. Don't say something. Don't like, don't say something so stupid that he finds out that you're such an idiot. Right. Yeah. See, um, there's just, I know that you're in a different position than me. There's just no chance that I would ever go into that situation with the goal of Matt Berkey thinking I'm smart. I, I'm the <laughs> kind of person that's like, if I'm not going to win this battle of wits, I'm going to make sure that we both lose. And I'd probably just talk about farts the whole time <laughs> just to be like, Oh, you're not going to out fart me, brother. Good luck. It's all uh -huh. for why does this smell so bad? <laughs> and there you go. 
And then at the end of the podcast, you're asking yourself, was it too much? Was it too far? Yeah, exactly. I would definitely ask that. So let's talk about post Black Friday and your success. And you mentioned that other folks didn't, you know, they, they didn't find success after that. Is there any commonality, any reason why you think they struggled so much? Yeah, I just got lucky. Like, I'm not going to comment on why they struggled. Like, you know, all the money left America, uh, you know, all the jobs that Americans had. I'm not even just talking about poker players. I'm talking about poker industry. Um, And it's bounced back, obviously. But, man, was it fucking good times working in the poker industry before Black Friday. Like, you know, there are just lots of jobs, lots of money, lots of marketing opportunities, lots of TV shows being produced, uh, which was good for me. And then what happened was, you know, poker stars in full tilt, they pulled out of the U.S. market. You know, they fucking packed it in real quick. And lots of people lost their jobs. Lots of people lost budding careers. And somehow for me, just out of sheer luck, poker stars said, we're pulling out of America, but we still do television shows in the rest of the world. And I was like, oh, there's a rest of the world. I forgot about that. <laughs> and they very generously offered to keep me on talking about poker in non-American markets. And I just got super lucky. And obviously, you know, they don't do that as much anymore. There's very little TV being produced by anybody especially I don't think any online poker sites making TV right now, but for a long time uh, they marketed in Europe harder than ever, which meant more TV shows than ever. I think the first year I moved to England, I think I did 52 episodes of the EPT and what I don't care what TV show you're on. Very few people are doing 52 episodes, right? Like, you know, Fleabag, she got six. I got, I got 52. So I just was very, very lucky. And also I was lucky that people believed in me and that people went to bat for me and people stuck their necks out for me, taking a chance on having a still relatively unproven person from America uh, be the face and voice of their brand overseas. Let's talk about the goodness of these people. Who 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 stuck their neck out? Who believed in you? Who is responsible? Man, over the years, I'm sure I'll miss some people, but just starting in poker, uh, the first guy who probably believed in me, we we had um, Jesus. Let's go all the way back. Barry Shulman from Card Player Magazine was one of the first people. Was probably the first person in poker to hire me, and I don't think he really knew anything about me at that point, but he liked me enough to keep me around a little bit. And then uh, a guy named Jason Newitt, who was uh, JDN was his name, was was a full tilt employee for a long time. He hired me to do Poker Wire Radio and basically handed me the keys to a podcast and said, it's your show. You're the host. Do what you want and paid me a, a fair amount of money to do it. After that, Barry Greenstein started a company called Poker Road and he and Joe Seabock and, uh, and Phil Ivey were guys that had enough faith in me to keep me employed by Poker Road. After that, I got hired by uh, 
some guys at Ultimate Bet to do a TV show that didn't last super long because I didn't get along well with my boss there. And then the big game was sort of percolating. And then at that point, guys like John Duffy, John Caldwell, Barry Greenstein again, Daniel Negreanu, guy named Joe. I can't remember his name. A big a big wig at stars named Joe something or other. I, oh, he was such a nice guy too. I feel bad. I don't remember him. All had enough faith in me to try to get me on the big game and I wouldn't have done it without the support of guys like Barry and Daniel who really fought on my behalf to get me that job after that James Hardigan who is my co-host on the EPT and Francine Watson are two people it's Francine's the person in charge of making the EPT TV shows uh, I would have never been on those shows had uh, Francine and James not stuck their necks out for me Matt Moran's a guy who stuck his neck out for me hired me he's the guy that made the world series of poker TV shows. What we, you know, what we all fell in love with. He had some faith in me, hired me for the NAPT. Morris and Donnie hired me to do ESPN for poker central. These people all took shots on me being not conventional and someone that's kind of a liability in certain ways. Uh, and the way that I treat the game fairly irreverently, I'd like to think those gambles all paid off with some good poker content that people remember that not only that, but also brings new people into the game. But yeah, man, there are some, and I'm sorry if I forgot anyone, but there've been so many people that stuck their necks out for me. And that, you know, that's, that's, I put, put that in the luck category as well. So let me, let me ask you a question now. There is an army of folks behind you that believed in you. Uh, All those amazing people that you mentioned how lucky do you think it is that they all believed in you specifically? Uh, I, I like to recognize the lust, the luck, the lust aspect. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just a sexy dude that they want exactly. around. Exactly, it just that could, could be, be part. hot as shit. Um, <laughs> I like to recognize the luck aspect of it first because it's a pitfall that I see a lot of successful people fall into, where they want to attribute too much of their own success to their own decision-making and their own personalities. And I just think that most of the time we got to give it a lot of it to luck to the right place at the right time. Um, And the fact that if it hadn't been me, it would have been somebody else. Yeah. There, there is some luck involved. I think in most any endeavor, we can find the luck, especially if we look hard enough for it. My point is all these same people, the commonality, they all believed yeah. in you and what you could do, which I think speaks to you. Yeah. Um, so having having said that, of course, there are things about my decision-making process and the way that I treat people that I think helped me in those cases. Oh. And I think that being a likable person is probably at the very least – nearly equally as important as talent. I think that if you're a nice, kind, trustworthy, dependable person who treats others well, others well, they want to see you succeed. They are now more interested in your success uh, and it's easier for them to stick their neck out for you. It's easier for them to want to take a chance on you because they like you. And I think that being a likable person, uh, first of all, I think is is something you can learn. 
I don't think it's something that you are necessarily born with or not born with. I think you can absolutely learn to be a nice, decent human being. And I think that that is incredibly important in just about any industry. Poker being one of the least important, actually. Now, of course, there are lots of ways that being a nice, likable person helps you if you're a professional poker player, right? You get invited to games. You get better advice from people. There are some things, but I think it is one of the only professions in the world where it where it affects you the least. Where you can still do quite well doing a being a completely unlikable person, but for almost any other industry, you need that support of other people to be able to advance. Yeah, I think it's it's a double edged sword. It, you can't be not likable and still succeed in poker to poker's detriment at the end of the day, right. which, which can be hurtful in just a number of ways. And, and I want to go back, you know, you said that your process systematically being nice to people, the way you treat people, what does that process look like? How did you get there? That's a good question. Um, the process looks like me spinning a lot. I can tell you what it looks like eat more easily. It looks like me spinning a lot of plates. I say yes to everything and everyone. I wasn't completely familiar with who you were when you asked me to do this, but I'm I'm the kind of person where I'm like, hey, this is another guy in the industry doing what we're all trying to do. Absolutely happy to do it. I try to treat everyone with the same kindness and respect, which does take a lot of energy to be the kind of person who keeps their appointments, keeps track of your appointments. And and replies to people with uh, a res- in a respectable amount of time does take a considerable b- amount of energy. So it does what it looks like is me being incredibly busy while not accomplishing very much at the same time. Except that you're building these relationships <laughs> that have powered and fueled your career, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's you kind of lose sight of the the. When you don't get like a one-to-one immediate ROI on something, sometimes you forget that it is important, and of course it is. But also, I'm not going to lie, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to give back. It makes me feel good that somebody wants me as a guest on their podcast. Wow, how fucking lucky am I that somebody gives a shit about what I have to say? Of course, of course, let's not completely, like, let's not ignore this opportunity. So that's, I mean, it looks like that. It looks like a lot of me. I reply to every single person on Twitter or Facebook that has something kind to say. Um, On Twitter, sometimes it'll just get a favorite. But if someone asks me a genuine question uh, in any medium, I reply to every single person. So what it looks like is me sweating a lot. A lot of energy gets expended on my part, keeping that aspect. How we got there, I don't want to be corny, but I got to say, my parents drilled that shit into me. My parents, looking back on it, were inhuman, but in a good way. They just had this whole modicum of, I don't think modicum is the right word. They should have taught me what the word modicum is. <laughs> uh, motto, I guess, this sort of uh, modus operandi of always do the right thing. Always tell the truth. Always be kind. Don't cheat ever. So shit growing up that most people, like my mom, like when we would get home from the grocery store and she would realize 
that we hadn't paid for the case of water or something or something slipped into the cart, she would go back and pay for it. Now, do I think that makes you a monster of a person if you don't go back and pay for it? Of course not. But my parents went the extra mile with stuff like that all the all the time to the point where that's the person I have become. That's the person that I want to be. And I do hold people to a relatively high standard, but not quite as I hold myself. So I got to say my folks really, really drilled that into me. And um, I didn't get along with them incredibly well while this was going on. But now that I have some, uh, some distance between me and those times, I'm very, very grateful that that's, that's the effort that they put in. And I think it's, it's pretty clear that they did a great job and it's very generous. You know, our biggest, our, our most important commodities are time and our energy and to invest so much into folks that, that you barely know, um, I think says a lot about your character, your integrity, and I'm going to go back to it just over and over the point, your success, I would imagine is directly linked to that. Like there, you know, you, you can take shortcuts in life and that hurt your integrity something like that's going on on in the poker world right now and eventually the house of cards just falls down all around you and you find yourself with very limited relationships and limited opportunity so i think it's always the way to be is have high integrity and do the right thing and and your mom and dad they did very well they did very well if anything i've taken long cuts with with the way that things have gone uh because I also had this sense of uh, integrity drilled into me by my parents. I think went a little too far sometimes to the point where when I am in situations where just a little bit of elbow grease or a little bit of schmoozing or a little bit of kind of putting someone in a spot to ask them for something that I want probably would have advanced me a little bit faster or a little bit different places had I been more proactive in those situations. And I'm the kind of person who, even when someone finally comes to me with an opportunity, I'm like, ah, are you sure? I, uh, and <laughs> I don't necessarily advocate that. There is, again, there's a balance to something like that. And I think I've erred too far in the passive direction. But that's a choice I've made rather than uh, err too far in the aggressive direction. But I do think, yeah, there have been, if anything, I've taken long cuts. But I have what you've just talked about. I have the fact that I'm a real solid guy to sort of uh, is, is, the, is the backup plan for that, is my safety net. That even if I am taking the long cut, eventually I'm probably going to get there. Yeah, and it, it ties into poker too. You know, there's there's this balance that we all have to strike as far as humility sure yeah self-reflection and then assertiveness at the same time like as a poker player you have to be how do you know exactly how good you are at all times it's really hard to know that yeah you have to be humble in, in that you have to question your decisions and question whether or not you're growing in the way that that you want to be to question but also you have to have confidence in your decisions. So what do you do? Yeah. Also, when when you're facing uh, you know a six thousand dollar bet on the river in a cash game, you have to have confident confidence that yeah, um, 
you're going to make this hero call with third pair and just let the chips fall where they may. So there's all there's this balancing act, and if you go one way or the other, I think both are hurtful. But just being able to to question and analyze, and then just be assertive and be like, you know what, I don't care if multiple people disagree with me. I think this is the right thing to do, and this is what I'm going to do. What is up, you future star of poker? You, Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're sitting there wondering to yourself, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table for my family, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I have tried almost all of the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, have come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What on earth was going on, right? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed to be on a level playing field to return to my crushing ways. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play online poker somewhere. And I want to be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer for me. I love you, I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code to play and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your invite code. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. Let's segue a little, because uh, I have other questions. I don't, sure. even think, I don't even know if I've asked you one of my questions. Was that one question? God, what a fucking blowhard. He hasn't even <laughs> got to his first question yet. We're like, we're like 45 minutes into this. Um, when you think about joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Okay, so the very first thing that came to mind, I'm so embarrassed about it was uh, let me tell you what it's not first and it should be it's not getting the big game because that was such a slow process that even the day before we were supposed to start filming it wasn't like a hundred percent that i was gonna do it uh so it wasn't the big game it wasn't the ept because i was terrified about moving overseas 
so embarrassingly, the moment that first came to mind of me just experiencing pure joy was the moment I got a blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> and I know it's so fucking lame, but I was so happy. And I was out for drinks with a couple of real hot suicide girls. I don't know if you know what they are or not, but they're um, like a alt modeling. It's like, it's like saying Playboy Bunny, but for like chubby tattooed girls. And I was out with a couple of them. And one of them was so impressed that she kissed me on the mouth. And we ended <laughs> up going home together that night. Like I got laid literally got laid from getting a blue check mark on Twitter. So that is dumb as it is, is a, is like, is the first joyful moment of my career that popped up. Oh my God. <laughs> that so is, stupid. That Obviously so it's going to be penis related, right? There's just no way. <laughs> if, if we're being truthful, like you said, honestly, yeah, yeah. Like we, we want the truth and the truth is, you know, that's it. It's, it's related to the penis. The other one is probably when um, Norm McDonald asked me if I would open for him on the road as a stand-up comedian. And that that's a moment like I jumped up and down. Oh, yeah, that's massive. Yeah, that was, uh, that was like as close to a dream come true moment as I've ever, you know, because, you know, you, when you're a kid, you don't dream about Twitter. You know, like, oh, I hope, hope there's something called Twitter and I get verified on it. no. But as a kid, you could be like, wow, fuck, I fucking watch Norm MacDonald every single week, if not more, between Saturday Night Live and his late night appearances. So when he says, hey, man, I was thinking maybe you should open for me on the road, my fucking mind was blown. Uh, and that was like a, like a shell-shocked, I can't even believe this is happening moment. How did you meet Norm? Was it through poker or through comedy? Both. Um, Norm was playing the South Point during the World Series a couple of years ago when I was working, and a good friend of mine, Eric Danis, who uh, I don't know if you know the name or not, he works for the GPI. He's like one of the guys behind the scenes really keeping poker alive, uh, and the mob GPI, and uh, told me there were still tickets that, that Norm was playing multiple nights, and there were still tickets available, so I bought some, and after the show, me and my friends just couldn't decide where we wanted to go and he happened to walk out of the showroom and i was like you know i've been around comedy and i told you i take long cuts i don't really i'm not really like an aggressive sort of introduce myself to people kind of person but in this moment it was just like he's right there i kind of gotta go say hi and i did and I was like, "Hey, Norm, I'm a. I don't. Know if you, I know you're kind of into poker." And he's like, "Yeah, I know who you are." And I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> Norm knows who I am. Oh my god! And he gave me his uh, gave me his producer's phone number, which I wasn't sure if that was his way of brushing me off or or not. But um, did you show him that the the Twitter check mark? Well, we did. That's how we ended up becoming tight was over Twitter DM. We started DMing each other the next day and we just sort of got to know each other and had a lot in common. And slowly over time, we, uh, he started asking me about comedy and he asked me if he could watch some videos and, uh, I sent them to him and I didn't hear back from him for like two weeks. So I was like, well, that's it. That's over. And then, uh, (laughs) 
out of nowhere, he was just like, Hey, you want to open for me? And I was like, yes. Oh my God. Yes, please. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a jump up and down moment. And I haven't had a lot of those. And I mean, that's an amazing story and, uh, slid right into his direct messages and yeah. seduced him with your comedy. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I did. I, I fucking slid right into the DMs. <laughs> and, and I, I think there there's a lesson here too is that you had an opportunity to speak with him and, and like you can you could have or you could not have and, and you went for it and, and I think that there's a lot of these opportunities in life these moments where you can take the risk or you can sit it out and it's very easy to be afraid of taking the risk I mean just speaking with people in the poker industry like people that you you grow up watching on TV introducing yourself just go for it. Like, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen typically? Can I give everyone one piece of advice though about going for it? Yeah, go for it. And people will use this as an excuse not to go for it. And I want you to fucking listen to me and hear me go for it. Yes. But be ready for whatever thing it is you're trying to get. And this is something I've hammered home in that. Let's say you're a screenwriter and you see Steven Spielberg, and you decide to go for it, and you tell him, have I got a movie for you? He goes, cool, send your script to my assistant. You better have that fucking script written. Yeah. When you go up to Norm MacDonald and you say, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'd really love a shot to open for you, and he says, okay, you would better be a stand-up comedian. And what I did, a mistake I made for a big portion of my life, like 10 years plus, is I called myself the things I wanted to be, but I was not doing them. I called myself a comedian for a far longer than I was actually doing stand-up comedy with any sort of regularity. And I eventually one day was like, you can't call yourself a comedian and not do stand-up comedy. It just, you know, there's some people that get away with that, but they're, you know, out there on TV or whatever. And I was like, it just doesn't work like that. Get out there and do it. You can't call yourself a sketch comedy writer and not have sketches. You can't, you need to be ready for that moment. And I don't mean to keep putting that moment off. What I mean is start getting ready right fucking now. If you meet whoever it is, and they have the money to put you in some big game. If you're a poker player and you meet an investor, be ready for that game. Don't be like, well, I'm not quite ready. No, you gotta be ready. What's the, what's the expression? I think it's success is luck plus opportunity. I think it's luck is opportunity when opportunity (laughs) meets preparation. I thought it was lucky. I thought it was luck meets preparation. Who, who knows what we're trying to say? Anyway, there's three your- key, <laughs> key portions to that. <laughs> Preparation being one of them. And yes, that's the, the one that you can... The most important one. That's right. You can start doing that right now. And so if you listen to me on another podcast that I, I don't want to cheat you, but I said, do the thing. Yeah. You got to do the thing. Whatever the thing is, you got to do it. Stapes, I'm I'm secure. I'm secure in my podcastism. You can, you can talk about another podcast. I'm it's fine. Oh, that's okay. Just out of uh, courtesy, that I, I wouldn't do that on any show, just because it's whatever. This is your <laughs> show. 
It's your time. <laughs> no, this it, is our time. It's yeah. our time down here, Mikey. Yeah, this is your time, actually, not my time. I'm the yeah. fa- I'm the facilitator. Um, so let's go to the opposite question. Question number two. Now that we're an hour in, um, <laughs> when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Not being asked, I didn't. I wasn't asked back to do the World Series of Poker this year. That was pain. Um, you know, that was pain, especially watching it, especially watching along. Uh, and seeing how great a job everyone was doing and how much everyone loved the coverage this year. That was painful. Um, it was difficult for me to watch. I didn't actually watch a lot of the coverage as a result. Why didn't they ask you back? Uh, I was told it's it was budget, that they just uh, didn't have the money for me this year. And that's uh, that's entirely probably what happened. But, you know, it's it's a business where... Um, it could be any number of reasons and it's just easier to say budget sometimes. So I don't, you know, I have no reason to doubt them except for that. Again, that part of my personality is to, is to lean toward a, you know, a, a more possible pessimistic and or self-critical uh, answer to that rather than just being like, do, 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 I'm the best in the world. It was just a budget cut and go, it probably was, but also may, maybe there's something that you did. Uh, that, lost that, it. Yeah, that didn't work out for them. So uh, that was pain. But knowing that, you know, season two, of the big game was never going to air on TV with my best friend. We had finally gotten on television together and it, it never ended up airing. That was painful. Um, poker. Honestly, I feel pain every time someone I'm I'm a person that trolls. It hit me pretty hard. Um, they don't. uh doesn't ruin my day it doesn't i don't lose sleep over it but i do feel pain from trolling and bullying and some of that pain comes from uh i get offended but i get personally offended this much but i get offended for the world like this much meaning that i can't believe there's such an asshole like this out there um, and like, yes, it's directed at me, so I notice it, but I'm just like, when I fight with trolls, when I slap back, it's not a personal thing. It's just that I don't like the fact that you exist at all. And I want to put you on blast for being such a shitty person, even though this isn't a word, irregardless <laughs> of what you've said to me. I want the world to know that you're just an awful person in general. And in fact, just today, I find that people who are shitty to strangers, it's like 99% of the time because they're in pain. There's something going on in their lives that makes them unhappy. They're unhappy people. And of course, when I fight back, that doesn't help. And so what I try to do a lot of the time is say, hey, man, you seem like you're in a lot of pain. This happened literally today. I said, I'm going to follow you for the next 24 hours. If you want to DM me and talk to me about what's really going on, let's talk about it. And the guy wrote back with like two or three shitty responses and then finally DM'd me and opened up to me about what was going on in his life. And I said, man, that really sucks. And I'm sorry you're going through that. But if I could just make a recommendation, I promise you, your life will be somewhat better 
if you flip the script on this and you put positivity and kindness out into the world, I promise you things will be incrementally better than they are right now. And we had it out over a couple of messages and he said, you know what, Stapes, I'm going to, it was your birthday recently. I'm going to try to be less, less cunty. <laughs> and I said, you know what, man, I'm just going to ask you for, to go one step further and don't just be less cunty. Be just be nice. I promise you, I promise you what you get out of it will be so much greater than what you get out of being shitty to people. And he said he would try and to have a reasonable car. It it took a long time to get there. It took a lot of energy on my part. My girlfriend this morning thinks I was working fucking hard (laughs) that I getting back into bed with her when really I'm typing back and forth with a troll. I don't know why I started talking about that. Uh, it's but, so, oh yes, that's that's moments that cause me pain. It, I mean that that's so overwhelmingly compassionate to go I'm out. I'm not of capable for, of it all the time. Sometimes I just want to dunk on a fucking troll, and I do. Of um, course, you're human, right? Uh, but one thing that I am consistent on is that it when and oftentimes people back down, and oftentimes people say, "I just wanted your attention," or "I don't know why I did that." You seem like a good guy. I always say. It's cool, dude. We good. I don't always make the extended effort that I did with this fella today, but I will 100% back down when people do. I just want anyone who happens to be observing what's happening to recognize this isn't how you're supposed to treat people, but then when people show some sort of growth to give them that encouragement and to let the other people who might be observing know I'm not a monster I just want people to be decent. And you're, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. The way people act on the outside is a reflection of how they feel on the inside. Yeah. And I, I get the same feelings when I see people being just awful to one another. Yeah. And with some shame, I'll say, in my life, I, I try to grow as a human being. Um, it's something that I, I try to put awareness into and actively do but like i just hold on what was my tangent i went i was thinking about two things at once and lost both of them well you were talking about we started off talking about pain but we eventually start what oh oh, down this road of yeah i mean so it, it makes me feel i get sad when i see human beings say these awful things to one another and if i let it take control i can i it, it can ruin days you know i can yeah. i can sit on lay on my couch and do nothing and just think like what's the point like what's the point of, of doing these things because humanity can be so so awful to each other but that that level of compassion and two like you know one thing that i've learned in life is people want connection right? Like everybody wants connection. Nobody wants to be lonely. And I'm ashamed to say that for, for a lot of my life, like just a homeless person, for example, right? My reaction was to pretend they weren't there, to look the other way, to, to, to treat them as sort of like non-human type thing, or maybe it's like some subconscious guilt at their yeah, I mean, it's easier on you to not process that, whereas your acknowledgement of it doesn't really do anything to help the situation, but does bring you down. Yeah, and so now, now I've 
started whenever I walk past uh, a homeless person, I, I, I've tried to stop and just shake their hand. And, oh, that's nice to stop. Yeah. And, and ask them their name because so many times, like it's so easy to ignore somebody when, when they, when they're nameless, they don't have a name, they don't have a story. Um, when you know somebody's name, like when you shake a, shake somebody who's homeless, their hand and you yeah. realize like this, this guy's name's Adam. And you're like, wow, like there's a story here. And this is a struggling human being that's in pain. And I've been ignoring them for a lot of my life. I mean, that that's another like wake up call for me. That's like, okay, like there's room here to do a lot better, be more compassionate to our fellow man. Yeah, that's great. That's I mean, that's goes pretty beyond where I'm at. If I stopped and asked every homeless person's name on just the walk to the gym in the morning, I'd be about 40 minutes late because there's (laughs) genuinely an encampment that lives uh, right under my apartment building here in LA, but you live yeah, in LA. I mean, so who, who can afford, who can afford houses in LA? It's too exactly. Expensive. So, but, you know, but acknowledging people and making eye contact and just treating them, you know, like you would any other person on the street is absolutely important. And, you know, I think that if you're listening to this, I don't think that uh, not doing that makes you a bad person. I'm not looking to demonize uh, folks that don't do those things. I'm not, it's not about guilt or, saying something's better or worse than anything else. It's just a, an example of a way that we can just try to grow and just try to put a little bit more kindness into the world. Um, but we all do it in different ways, right? Yeah. It's offering a different perspective than what you're used to or what you're normal to or what, how you normally react, right? Yeah. Like, or what's like comfortable to you. What's too. comfortable. Like, like you can react to a troll with anger, and you can bash them and battle them. You can ignore homeless folks, or you can realize that, yeah, this is a part of human suffering just as a whole. And maybe instead of letting it ruin my day or ignoring it, it's an opportunity to help out and, and help ease some of that suffering. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, I think that in, especially in situations where it costs us nothing, we should be looking to ease suffering or at the very least, don't create more. And that's what I really don't understand about the, the troll situation is that doing nothing costs you nothing, right? Being kind costs almost next to nothing, right? It is like takes very little energy to be kind. To go out of your way to cause someone distress and harm is more difficult than not doing that. So when people go through jump through hoops to be cruel. That's when my sort of anti-bullying sort of kicks in. And I'm like, all right, dude, here we go. Because you could have done nothing, but instead you've chosen to make the world a worse place. And now I'm pissed. Let's get to the bottom of it. But, you know, let's imagine a 10 year old bully. Where, where do you think that comes from? Those I mean, act- I got bullied a lot as a kid. I was like, you know, no, 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 I, not, not, not. Oh, person. where does it come from? Where, where oh. do the bullies? Where does that? Yeah, I mean, come look, from? I think for the most part, the lines that my parents fed me as a kid were true, but just impossible to see. Then, uh, bullies are scared. Bullies are being bullied. Bullies don't like by their, you. Be by their parents. Yeah, or by their parents. Or by an older brother. Whatever it is, you know. But bullies are being bullied or bullies are jealous of you, I think nine times out of 10, one of those factors is true. Every once in a while, you got someone that's just like a piece of shit 
and they're like have no real reason to be or maybe it comes from a much deeper rooted sort of mental illness where they hate themselves for some other reason. Most Maybe of the time though, sociopath or yeah, exactly. But most of the time you can trace it back to some specific thing that's causing it, you know, uh, harm begets harm. The victim becomes the perpetrator in almost all cases. Uh, people who get cheated on become cheaters. People who are lied to become liars. People who get scammed become scammers. Um, in this cycle of um, just ill will does perpetuate itself, and uh, which is part of the reason why I try to have negativity end with me and to and to absorb that negativity. And look, like I said, I'm not perfect at it. I put a lot of negativity out there too. What I think is uh, fairly reciprocated negativity, but I do try to make up for that by putting as much or more effort into positivity as well. It's a great way to be. And, and I, I do want to make the point too that I'm not, you know, because I, I shake hands with, I, I don't think super highly of myself. Sure, either. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, aren't we fucking great? I'm fucking <laughs> nice to people on Twitter. I shake homeless people's hands. Where's my saint? What's my, where's my halo, please? I almost said saint hat. Saint where's, hat. My, where's my saint ring? Where's your Saint Ring at, Joe? Yeah, yeah, it's I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I I do there's always there's always more to do. And the only reason that this is something that I point out is because it's something that I've struggled with. And and I think that a lot of times when people talk about these things, they are that that when when they talk about things they've thought about a lot, there's a reason, right? Like if I talk to you about sleeping habits and how to sleep better at night and I have all this knowledge, well, it's because I have problems sleeping, right? Like it, it stems from an area in my life that I want to get better at. So that's one area that, that I've really thought about it and serving other people and trying to just do things the best way that I can and question stuff. And that just, that stems from a long period of ignorance and being a shitty human <laughs> that, uh, and I think, the will to want to be better. That- Poker players are particularly good at this, though, that when you get into a conversation with a poker player on Twitter, on Facebook, in real life, generally anything that they know anything about, they know a lot about it. It's like well-researched, and I think a lot of poker players treat topics they're interested in the same way they treat poker, which is to find out everything they can about it. And I do think that that's a, a very admirable, a, admirable aspect of poker players is that they do want to be educated on topics and many of them educated on both sides of a particular topic too, before they, I'm not saying that they all fence straddle uh, every single topic, but most of them, at least the ones I surround myself with, have informed themselves on most of the angles of various topics before they get entrenched in one side or the other. Well, belief's not worth very much if you're not willing to hold your side of the argument up to scrutiny. Sure. If you're not willing to question your side, then belief is not worth very much, right? And if you're going to have a belief, then I feel like you ought to at least learn all the different angles. And that's another mistake that I've made in my life is like, I grew up in the Bible Belt, right? In 
the southeastern United States. And yeah. there's a lot of things that you're taught and you grew up thinking that they're just capital T truths that and then, you know, I moved to L.A. and it's a little different. Satan <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's a little different, um, little different experience. And so just questioning all the things that we assume to be truths because we grew up with them, because our parents told us to believe X, Y, or Z is something that I go back to as well. And it's like, okay, let's question this because I don't want to live my life in, in a way that's not really true to myself. Um, yeah. I don't want to live somebody else's life. I want to live my life. I don't want your life. <laughs> there you go. Varsity Blues. That's probably too old for you. Don't worry. No, I was probably like 14 or 15. Yay. I thought you were going to say four. No, no, 14 or 15. Billy Bob actually went to my high school, oddly enough, that you say that, who I believe, believe passed away now. And that's not funny. <laughs> Wait, Billy Bob Thornton's dead? No, no, no. The guy that played, the guy Billy, played Billy, Billy Bob. Billy Bob okay. okay, good. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think... Um, I don't think... Billy Bob Thornton was in there. Okay. Good. Yeah, the guy, that, the guy that played him. Okay, so let's go back. Let, let's imagine a carbon copy of yourself. Okay. That's out there. They're 10 years younger than you, though. Can I fuck the carbon copy of myself without it necessarily being a gay thing? I mean, I don't mind if it is. I can experiment, but I think that would be interesting. What, what would that anyway, be? different what, what, podcast, different podcast. Continue. No, no, no. I'm curious. What would that look like? How, Ooh, how, we don't want to. We don't want to know what it would look like. How do you seduce your ten-year-old? It would be all. <laughs> it would be all hand jobs, probably, because that's all I know how to do with myself. It would just be a lot of hand jobbery. <laughs> I don't know if you had your Twitter checkmark um, ten years ago, but you could be like, "Look, you do this. This is what you get. This is my." It's gift. like that milk commercial where the remember that when we were kids and the kid was like looking in the mirror and drinking milk, and it was uh, like the the twenty year old version of himself, and there's this like hot babe on him, and she's like, "Keep drinking milk, and this is where you'll be in ten years." And he's like, "Mop, mop, 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 mop." Anyway, <laughs> except your hot babe is yourself. So exactly. Look, you could land this <laughs> if you try very hard. Okay, so we got a carbon copy of ourselves that we're not going to sodomize or molest. <laughs> um, if you could sit that that human down and give him some advice, what advice would that be? Okay, so I'm thirty-five years old. And I'm imagining myself as... We'll say f- 15, since you're 24-year-old. Your yeah. brain brain's not fully de- developed yet. Uh, some Mostly some of the things that we've touched on already. I would tell myself to work a little bit harder. Uh, at 23 years old, I had a very good job making a really decent amount of money for a 23-year-old, but I wasn't... That distracted me from chasing my dreams, um, it was a, like a dream adjacent job. And I'm in my mind, I was like, that's good enough. I'm making money. I'm dream adjacent. And I kind of stopped working hard at pursuing the things I really wanted. One, two, I wasn't honest with myself about what I really wanted. Now, when I moved to Los Angeles and I was in my early 20s, I never really admitted it to myself that I wanted to be a performer, that I wanted to be in front of the camera. The fact that I ended up in front of the camera, despite not having worked at it at all, or even admitted to myself that that's what I secretly wanted is incredible. 
but also like, man, imagine if I had, like, imagine if I had actually this dream, declare, delivered that goal and gone for it. What might have I achieved? Uh, now we can never really know. It might be less than I've achieved doing it this way, but you know, chances are. Uh, I probably would have achieved it sooner and to a greater intensity. So that's two, which really should be one. Be honest with yourself. Go out one less night a week and work hard at your thing, right? I was partying Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. If I had just stayed in one of those days, written, worked on stand-up, I think that would have been better. And then three probably would be, something that you touched on that I wasn't really good at, which is the go for it, right? Because I've already done one and two in this scenario. Now I have the stand-up ready to go. I have the script ready to show Steven Spielberg. So now three, when I run into Quentin Tarantino at a party, don't shy away from him, engage him, and go for it. So those would be the things. Now, not to get too meta on you, I'm real happy with the way things turned out. So I'm not sure I'd like want to fuck with the timeline, but assuming that this advice would improve things and not, you know, like I said, not in like a science fiction way, like who knows what would have happened. <laughs> uh, th- those are the pieces of advice I would give. Yeah, hey, this, for sure. This is your carbon copy who gets to live their own life separate from you. So, right. I guess I don't have to worry about messing up my timeline. It's just to see theirs be a little, you know, more fruitful. Yeah, you're you're serving serving your your carbon copy out there, um, in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, those that's probably the three. I think those three things, and then maybe just uh, maybe just to you know spend less money on girls. Just you know maybe not hand my credit card over so often, every time some girl in L.A. needed a new set of tires or a cell phone bill paid. So you have a little, you, you regret handing the credit card over. Tell me, you can honestly go back in those moments and see yourself not handing your credit card over. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly. Like, am I owed tens of thousands of dollars uh, due to various relationships or times I've been taken advantage of by people I was trying to date? Yes. Would I take any of it back? Not really. I've had some good times. It's been all right. Like I'm doing okay. I could imagine too. You, you I, I getting the feeling. You know, you're a very giving guy, very generous guy, and those are the types of guys that can be taken advantage of by some opportunistic folks. However, yeah, and also it's not their fault a lot of the time. If I'm offering, if I'm, you know, putting it out there, maybe they're not opportunistic. Maybe I'm just like going too far in that direction so i don't blame those people either that's true too Um, yeah i wish that i had a little bit more savings now but other than that it's it's all good i got i as a generous person i got pleasure out of doing it right it's not like i didn't get anything out of it i get to go be like what a fucking great guy i am just pay that girl's cell phone bill who i'm definitely never gonna see again because she's (laughs) gonna either turn on the right of my phone (laughs) i i i was out to dinner with a friend one time and uh, he wanted to buy me dinner. And I was refusing, you know, I was like, no, man, I got it. Like, it's no big deal. And, uh, he, he just stopped me and he said, Brad, don't, don't steal my blessing. Don't take my blessing from me. Nice. And that was a way, that was a different perspective that I hadn't considered. 
where him paying for dinner made him feel good and it made him feel happy and fulfilled and like he was serving a friend. And so now I accept free dinners. <laughs> I let people buy me dinner too. Absolutely. I used to put up a fight. I used to buy who always paid. And I'm like, you know what? Especially if the person isn't poor. I'm like, yeah, thanks for dinner. Thanks a lot. And I kind of have a, like a sliding scale. If they are not super financially uh, independent, I just go, how much joy do I think it's really going to give this person? Like I have this policy when I run into fans in public places, like I don't want them to buy me a beer. I should be buying them a beer, but sometimes I can just tell it really means a lot to them to buy me a beer. I put myself in that situation. If I was out with Norm, would I want him to let me buy him a beer? Absolutely. I would, I wouldn't care if it was my last 10 bucks. Like I, that would be what I want to do. So, um, it's exactly it. Let the, you know, let people do the things they want to do. It's not always taking advantage just to accept something from other people. Agreed. Agreed. So I got a couple more questions and then I'll let you go deal with the Twitter trolls. Um, I actually like blasted off on one right before we got on the air. I'm not going to look at the replies. I'm just going to look at how many I have right now. <laughs> 25. Uh, Holy shit, that's a lot. That's a lot of adding <laughs> at me. Uh, looks like whatever you said got their attention and got Yeah, well, probably the thing is I got I wanted to get the attention of my other followers, which is kind of bullying a little bit, but uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a human being sometimes. They're multi-purposing. You're taking the troll and turning it into content. So then I'm re-troll exactly, I'm re-trolling him. Then at the end of the day, you can think to yourself, yeah, I created some great content today for my Twitter followers by battling out with this troll all day. I like the way you think. <laughs> um, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the poker world, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, it would, it, would in, it would intrinsically destroy the entire game of poker. So part of the reason why I am not much of a poker player is that I hate losing, but I also don't get a lot of joy out of winning. I like winning money. I like stacking chips. I don't love beating other people. It's not really my thing. I get nothing from the competition of it. And I genuinely feel sometimes, not all the time, sometimes feel a little bit bad. I'm like, oh, uh, sorry. Come on, so Joe. Sorry. A little bit, just a little bit. Uh, karma, not, I don't believe in karma, honestly, in a, in a magical sense. Uh, I do believe in karma in a sense of that our actions have a real-time cause and effect that have sometimes circle back to us or oftentimes circle back to us. I don't believe in some magical force. There's just way too many shitty people out there who are doing too well to have karma actually be a thing. But um, it's just that it doesn't make me feel good. Uh, and so for me, if I was going to change poker, it would be to make it less of a selfish game, but that just ruins poker in general, which is why I just don't play very often. I like to play low stakes cash games. I like to play with my friends. It's purely a social thing for me. And so I'm happy for poker to be what it is, uh, and, and somewhat cutthroat for the people that want it to be. But for me, I would just take the edge out of poker and make it somehow, somehow like playing with rubber bullets would be what I would do to poker. But, you know, I think poker is a nearly perfect game 
the way it is. Um, and the people who are involved mostly know the risks. So as far as the game of poker, I wouldn't change much of it. The poker industry, I would just, I don't know. I would like to play around a little bit more with some TV poker formats and see if I can't find a good combination that gets poker popular on TV again. Um, that would be really cool. But Stay. yeah, I don't, as, as a non-player, I just, I, I wouldn't make too many changes to it because uh, it's not up to me. It's up, you know, it's you, it's you guys who are really, really well, cool. It, yeah, it was a poker world. So I think that that includes you, right? It could be anything related to the poker world. And, and you said something that that's, it's so crazy on doing this show. So I have struggled with that exact same thing. The predatory aspect of poker for I've played cards for 15 years professionally. I've struggled with it for probably 13. This fact that you can't get around that when you're battling against somebody, like when I win a $10,000 pot, somebody lost a $10,000 pot. Yeah. As bad as I feel losing a $10,000 pot, when I win one, somebody feels that way. That is something that I felt, it made me feel weak as a poker player. And I could rationalize it. And I also felt that I was the only person that felt that way. And doing this podcast, talking to folks, cash games. Is that common? It's very common. Almost every single one of them go through this existential crisis of like, am I just a predator? Am I just hurting folks? What am I giving back to the world? Um, How do I give back more to the world? How do I serve people? And that's why I think you see a lot of poker players 10 to 15 years into their career trying to move on to do other things. They do other things, and there's plenty of philanthropy in poker. I mean, lots of poker players are doing great jobs of putting positivity into the world, both emotionally and literally. So, you know, with whether it be donations or running charity organizations, there is lots of that. And I think the poker industry is probably better than average for those sorts of um, gestures being made. The poker community surprises me over and over and over again. And I don't know why it surprises me. The whole cheating scandal that's gone on recently, the poker community uncovered it. UB, the poker community uncovered it. I've had things that have happened in my life that people... I mean, they uncovered it because they were like, nobody should be winning this (laughs) much. It was like pure, like, jealousy. That's true. That's true. That, that, that's true. Maybe that's not a great example, but I, you know, I've, I've had experiences. No, but the, but the process of the uncovering of it, the process of the sharing of information and the hard work that went into it, I think is more what you're, what you're, you know, I'm making a joke out of it, but there is absolutely something cool about uh, the way in which this has happened amongst other things in the poker community. I mean, I've had experiences that have been very tricky and I've had people go to bat for me that I barely knew that I only, oh, wow, I, cool. that I only played cards against a few times. And for whatever reason, um, I, I do make it a point to try to be jovial and happy and yeah. entertaining at a poker table because uh, as a cash game player, I mean, your goal is to pe- people want to have a good time. And plus I, f- I have a good time when I'm acting happy and talking and having a discussion and not throwing a fit when I lose and all of these things and getting to know people and creating personal relationships. But a guy went to bat for me that I barely even knew I couldn't have picked him out of a lineup and bailed me out. And I just, I see this over and over and over. There's some really giving generous, compassionate folks that play cards. And I, I think that card playing, it's a beautiful game. 
it's it's poker is an amazing it's a beautiful game i think you obviously can't take out you can't play with rubber bullets right um because there's this element of pressure and sure. the stakes in play that that's what makes it exciting right and you know in every sport in every competition it, you know in football an average career is three years so every time somebody gets drafted and makes an nfl team somebody loses this spot right hmm. so there's all this turnover the turnover turnover this churn and turnover in all these competitive endeavors it's like it's something that's just has to happen but but yeah i the poker community is very generous very giving and, and i i love them and in in my own way that that's how the podcast came about it in just wanting to serve and give back as much as i can because cool. You take something you take for like 15 years or 10 years and you're like, okay, how can I? That's best case scenario you take. Yeah, that's best. That's what you're, that's the goal, right? Right. But anyway, uh, that's a whole tangent. What's something people would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? Man, I don't think people would be surprised to learn I'm horrible at anything. (laughs) It seems like whatever it is, I end up being honest about being horrible at. People are pretty not surprised by that what am i horrible at i'm horrible at singing shouldn't be much of a surprise i'm not great at acting acting is actually a lot harder than it looks and i'm constantly trying to become a better actor i am horrible at one thing i'm horrible at is saying no to people um to the point where i will often um sort of my close friends and family will pay for that in a way that they probably shouldn't. Whereas like, you know, I'm, it's my anniversary and I'm doing two podcasts today, that sort of thing. I hope that's not today. It's not today. It's fine. Um, there's nothing like that going on. Today, but <laughs> Those are all things that I'm not good at. I'm, I'm a, you know, as a comedian, we're people pleasers, right? That's like literally what I've chosen as my profession so sometimes I'm bad at drawing a line there. I'm bad at having boundaries for what I will do for not only strangers, but for friends and for family. I kind of, uh, I'm really bad at, at having boundaries. I don't know if that's surprising to people or not, but I'm, I'm pretty bad at that. It's once it's hard to turn the switch off, I think. And have you, do you think you've improved at that over the years? Yeah, and I'm really good at like being having no boundaries to a point. And I've actually tried to teach people this and that sometimes when it comes to saying no to something or to giving someone an uncomfortable answer, I tend to go straight at it. And uh, like, let's say, for example, a fan asked me for my phone number. Now, if a fan asks me to DM me, no problem. If a fan asks me, can I come say hi at a poker event? No problem. If a fan asks me, hey, can you record a video for me to say happy birthday to my uncle who's also a fan? I generally do it. Does that happen? Yeah. Wow. Um, I generally do it. Even though there's a site where I can charge for it now, I'm, I'm trying to avoid that. Better be careful. A- we get we get 50,000 people listening to this. You're going to have so many birthday requests. Yeah, I'm going to have to put a, don't ask me to do that anyway. <laughs> uh, but if someone asks me for my phone number, 
I will just look at them and go, what are you nuts? I'm not giving you my phone number. And I find that answering in that way is actually kinder is uh, yeah. Kinder and easier on the ears than being like, uh, no, I don't really give out my phone number to like, it's nothing personal, <laughs> um, which is honest and sort of, you feel like is a more gentle way of putting it. But I just find me like, are you crazy? No, I'm not going to invite you back to my house. I don't know you <laughs> um, is actually just uh, like an easier way for us all to get out of it. So I have developed this technique and I have gotten a little bit better at drawing boundaries. Yes. To answer your question. Stapes, can I have your number? Absolutely not. You've got my email address. What more do you need, Brad? <laughs> I want it all. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, I'm So remember how I said do the thing, have the script, have whatever. I'm getting at the point in my career where um, there's not a lot of poker work at the moment. Like there's, I'm going to go do some episodes of Poker Night in America uh in a couple of weeks and then i'm going to record some episodes of the pca at the beginning of december and after that i have no poker tv scheduled for any, for all of 2020 i don't know what's going on with poker night in america world series of poker as we discussed i'm not really doing that anymore uh the ept doesn't appear to be filming any more new episodes so i'm at a point where i need to be ready for the next opportunity so i am writing a pilot I have attempted, when I say attempted, I've written the first page of many, many, many pilots. I'm currently further in this pilot than I've ever been in any other. And I have a writing meeting directly after this um, to keep it going. I'm writing it with a partner. I don't want to say too much about it, but it is. it does have some poker elements to it. When's it going to be done? So I'm a big, so I'm a big believer in social accountability. When are you going to have awesome, this pilot man. done? We are... As a reasonable goal, we are aiming to have it done by the first of the year uh, because if we don't get it done like by Thanksgiving, nothing will happen anyway uh, with this. It's things kind of shut down around the holidays, but when people get back in January, that's when we can get it out there and get people reading stuff. So well, we have our uh, we have the new year as a as like a soft deadline but it's more like a soft deadline in that hey let's finish it before that and let's have it ready to show people uh in 2020 so thank you for that thanks for the accountability there say it out loud say it loud say it proud we speak the things you know when you tell people, it's about like goal setting, like I told you before, you know, it's creating social accountability. You can say, I'm going to quit smoking in, yeah. in three months. But when you put it on Facebook and you say, hey, I'm quitting smoking because I'm not going to be able to, to – my life's going to be shortened and I'm not going to be able to spend enough time with my children. Because uh, I'm sick of looking so damn sexy every time I take a drag. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> overload of sexiness to other exactly. your fellow human beings. Very bad. But when you tell people, you put it out there, that makes you way more likely to follow through and get it done. Yeah. And uh, yeah. as a, this might be a tangent. I, I know you're, you're short on time and I don't want to be that person that, that takes you away from writing. No, give me, give me, but come on. 
why do you think poker, why do you think these opportunities for televised poker, why, why are they drying up? Like, why is poker not just exploding across the world? Honestly, I think it's because games have come a long way and poker is a hundred thousand years old. Poker is, it's like saying like, why isn't the horse and buggy being used more often? And you're but like, people, well, people have been playing football for a long time too. And it's, it's gains in popularity. People have been riding horses and, you know, they're sponsored rodeos and stuff on TV. What's lacking in poker? What can be added to poker to make it more compelling? I don't, I don't know how to make poker more compelling. I know that right. What is lacking and I don't know how to fix it is an audience that the poker audience is too small to overcome mainstream advertising's fears of it. So Southwest airlines can be like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to sponsor poker. Like isn't poker kind of shady. And the reason why they can get away with that is because the audience is small. Whereas we know that if something is popular enough, people will look past whatever horrible things are associated with it. And there just isn't the money there for them. And I think that poker is wonderful and it's cool. And if there's a way to get that out there with poker TV, I said, I'd like an opportunity to experiment a little bit more with bringing poker back into television I think, unfortunately, like many things in the world, the audience and the audience's time is divided by a lot of other very distracting things. There are mobile games and console games and PC games and pornography and podcasts and books and movies and TV up the fucking wazoo that... For me, I get a lot of enjoyment out of binge watching a Netflix TV show and the enjoyment I get out of spending that much time playing poker is not always comparable. Uh, It just isn't. It's not for me. And I think it's not for a lot of people too. And I think that poker has a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of fucking great stuff out there to take up our time and money. And it's hard to compete with virtual reality, which is here. With Have you seen how good games are? Have you seen Red Dead Redemption? You can play poker in Red Dead Redemption. I, I, can, I have uh, PSVR, and I can see the beauty of it for about 10 minutes, and then I spew my guts out everywhere. I do. I get a little sick to my stomach. I have a PSVR as well. Uh, it doesn't always jive with me either. But my point is that especially, you know, we're sort of grandfathered into poker. Imagine if the, instead of having a deck of cards as a kid, you've got an iPad. Are you ever going to think like you're going to be like, what are these tiny pieces of paper you have to touch with your hands? Um, I think that, you know, poker is just somewhat archaic. Uh, and I love it and I see the beauty in it. And I'm not sure as someone that's born that turns 18 years old or 21 years old, uh, in the next week or two will ever know that beauty because they've got so many other things in their hands that are also, in my opinion, worthwhile. I, there, there are tons of worthwhile things and that, that is the, the economy of the world is driven by our attention and everything battles for our attention. Like you said, and from a cynical point of view, maybe 
there's only so many times we can see guys sticking in six big blinds for a million dollars before it, it wears off. And, and, and that's the- why from the very beginning of my commentary career, I said, every time this happens, I'm going to say something funny and different. And you have to because you know there's only so many times – and I like Mike Sexton. There's only so many times you can hear that somebody catches lightning in a bottle <laughs> um, before you're like, okay, I, I get it. Like he caught lightning in a bottle. We can, right. we can predict it and we we can, uh, yeah, I don't want to say, I don't want to talk trash about Mike Sexton. No, no, but, of course. I used to say there's only so many times you can see ace king versus ace queen and, uh, and have that be compelling unless the commentary, unless you're being entertained by the show you're watching. So I think it's important to care about the players. I think it's important, as you said, to know what the story is leading up until that point, because that's what's different. The fact that Ace Queen sucks out isn't even really that rare. What is rare is this particular person's journey. And I think that the way you present it, if you can do it, in, and obviously I'm biased toward comedy, if you can do it in a comedic way, that is, in my opinion, the way to keep that situation that we've seen a million times before, keep it compelling. Look at regular TV, right? We've seen scorned lovers a million times before, but that story gets told over and over again because we, there's a different set of circumstances surrounding it. And we are entertained by the way it's presented. So I do think that there's still hope for poker and that we can make, but maybe it's bias on my part. I don't know. I, I think that no, I, th- I think there's I, still some a, life left in poker. Poker's a great game. It's very compelling. And like we talked about before, everybody's stories are great. There's amazing narratives based on the journey of playing cards and, uh, an issue too, as far as you know, production costs and things like that. If there's not an abundance of money flowing into poker, then there's not enough money to test and try right. different different things that could be successful. And you know, I gotta hand it to Poker Central; they're trying. You know, they're out there every day putting poker on TV, uh, on their app, whatever you want to call it, um, and they are really doing everything they can to keep poker alive and well. And I got a lot of respect for them for that. Yeah. That, I mean, the people they're, they're doing the work, right. To make sure yeah. that, to make sure that all of us can reap the rewards of this game for the foresee- foreseeable future, because it, it is a beautiful game. I do love it. And everything that, that all the good things in my life, I can directly attribute to playing cards. It's and, and I'm very, very grateful. Uh, so let's close on this. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? I do a monthly comedy show in Las Vegas. The next one, if any of your listeners are poker players that live in and around Las Vegas, the next one is November 22nd. It's at a place called The Space LV. Everyone who's come thus far has had a blast. I bring out a bunch of great comedians from L.A. We go out to Vegas. We do one night in an Airbnb, smash a show. Everybody comes back the next day. Great lineup of comics. I host... And I would mean a lot to me if people came out for that. So you can get tickets at thespacelv.com. As far as online, you can follow me on Twitter at Stapes. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Instastapes. Awesome, man. And people, LA, LA folks listening to Chasing Poker Greatness, 
go check Stapes out. Buy him a beer and ask him for his phone number just for fun. So uh-huh, just to see if I if I walk the walk after talking the talk. <laughs> Say, I heard you. I, I heard your interview on Chasing Poker Greatness, and so I know it's very safe to ask for your phone number. <laughs> it, it's been delightful. I, I've loved talking to you for these, uh, you know, co- close to a couple of hours. I've enjoyed it and went some places that uh, were very unexpected, but pleasantly surprised. Thank you very much for your time and energy. Yeah, cool, man. A pleasure to do it. Thanks so much for listening to me fucking be such a blowhard for two hours. I, uh, It's nice. It's good for the ego. Oh, we see. We see through you. We see, you're transparent now after this talk. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.